It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast with your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. Take a seat at the table and join the conversation as David, Kevin, and their guests discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology to song selection. Feel free to poke fun at David's hair, talk football, or bring up other topics that have nothing to do with worship. We want to add your voice to the conversation. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. Or just head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop a note in the comments section of any episode. And now, it's time for the show. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. Yeah, David and Kevin, we're here. We're partnering with uh, Garden City Project. Which, by the way, that's been a really cool partnership. I'll tell you, we have, like, every every time we record, I'm like, man, these interviews that we have are just phenomenal. Thank yeah. you, Dave Yock. Thank you, Garden City Project. Uh, the interviews that we're getting are awesome. And today's interview... I mean, we're, we're just right back at it with some really deep stuff, um, really, really good thinkers uh, that have been coming on these interviews. Yeah, so today we're talking with Mark Pearson, who wrote the book, The Art of Curating Worship, Reshaping the Role of the Worship Leader. And you can find that book on Amazon.com. So if you're at a computer, we would encourage you to just go go to Amazon and yeah. look up the book right now like while, while you're sitting While there. you're listening, you know, and how cool is that? You're listening to the author of a book, explain the book while you're looking up the book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a, a great informative conversation. A lot of a lot of uh, material to help us as worship leaders, worship team members, uh, creatives, artists, the and the role that we play in worship, and maybe rethinking that a little bit as opposed to just you know filling time slots or. Or doing uh, what what we have always done. What is the best thing that we can do with the time that we have on a Sunday morning? So here is our conversation with Mark Pearson. Well, today we have another great interview coming to you, our worship uh, leader, worship ministry catalyst podcast audience, and uh, I have a treat for you today. If by nothing else than than the sheer fact that he's coming to us from the future. Wow. And uh, from Auckland, New Zealand, and he's already, it's Wednesday for us, Wednesday morning, but it's already Thursday morning over there. Well, here's the crazy thing. It's Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. for us right now, and uh, for our guest this morning, from Mark Pearson, it is 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. It's literally the future. Literally. <laughs> but uh, but we have Mark, who is the author of The Art of Curating Worship, and Mark, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Tomorrow looks pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Would you uh, introduce yourself, kind of give us a little bit of your story, and then uh, we'll jump right into talking about your book. Sure. Um, I've been a pastor in Baptist churches for 30 years or so. The last um, four or five years, I've um, moved to other churches um, and... uh, Curating worship in a local church pastoral context is um, my great passion. Um, I've have one wife and uh, four children, four grandchildren, and uh, New Zealand is a wonderful place to live. Wow, yeah, I've always dreamed of going to New Zealand. That's that's one of my one of my 
bucket list destinations I have to get to in my life. Yeah. It looks beautiful there. Well, I, yeah. And I, my guess, Mark, is that probably uh, after Peter Jackson directed Lord of the Rings, probably uh, New Zealand got a lot more visitors and tourists after those movies came out. Am I right? I think that Peter Jackson's uh, responsible for about 15 or 20 percent of the gross domestic product in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, maybe if if we can, maybe we can jump right into talking about uh, your book, The Art of Curating Worship. And would you just tell us a little bit about the book and uh, kind of how uh, you came to write the book, what, what it was that drove you over your history and your uh, past as a worship pastor to lead you to want to write this book? Sure. Well, um, I was just concerned about... Um, what was on offer in the church in its regular worship week by week and how that interacted or engaged or actually didn't interact or engage <clears throat> with my friends who weren't Christians. And I thought there has to be a better way of doing what we're doing in church week by week um, that somehow engages more with um, the culture of my non-church, non-Christian friends. And actually, even as a follower of Jesus, I wasn't finding the worship in most of the services I was part of, and I was putting lots of them together, was actually that helpful to me as far as my spiritual formation was concerned, as far as becoming a stronger, clearer, more committed follower of Jesus. So um, I had the great fortune of being part of a community of faith called Cityside Baptist Church um, in downtown Auckland in New Zealand that was mostly a small group of people, you know, 40, 50, 60, 100 people um, over the years who were mostly 20 to 30-year-olds and so very much engaged with contemporary culture and very open to exploring new possibilities. So over the years and over about 15 years or 20 years, um, we developed a, a way of putting our regular Sunday morning worship events together that was strongly and clearly focused on um, sustaining, supporting people in their spiritual formation and their living of their lives out in the world as followers of Jesus. So that's kind of where it came from. And then I wrote the book, The Art of Curating Worship, um, to pull some of those ideas together. It was really my own thinking, thinking out loud. Um, I think by writing mostly, and since then have just gone on to develop um, new ways of looking at worship, worship events as I call them, um, the one-off kinds of worship things that you might do just at Advent or Christmas or something like that that we've just had, as well as the week-by-week-by-week by week by week, um, Sunday morning in our case worship services. So that's a bit of the background. Now, let me ask you, uh, Mark, so um, this idea of curating worship, uh, I, I, I like this concept. My guess is that probably a lot of people listening, um, this might be kind of a new idea. Maybe they've never even heard that phrase, curating worship. Can you give just kind of a, a definition of what it means uh, to be a worship curator, to be curating worship? Sure. So, um, as I, I realized that a lot of the people who were part of Cityside community in those early days were artists, creatives of one sort or another. And I realized that 
church for them wasn't about um, using their art or using them. Um, I felt that many people who had talked about using the arts and worship were actually talking about abusing the arts and worship more. Um, so we didn't set out to kind of have more arts, but to have a, a an environment, a culture that was more sustaining and engaging for those who were artists, so that the worship was about artists rather than about the arts. Um, and so just in, in working with them and talking with them and being with them and thinking around stuff, I, I went to a, an art exhibition, an installation one day that was big paint ponds, big, um, you know, 10 foot across, um, two feet deep ponds of paint, a whole lot of them in a big warehouse and a lot of other things going on that I've written about in the book as well. And came away from that thinking, wow, this was really engaging, even though I have no idea what it was about. It was really engaging. And wouldn't it be great if church on a Sunday could be like this? Now, I've never quite gotten to using paint ponds in worship, but I've used pretty much everything else <laughs> over the years. And out of thinking about that, I thought, how did this artist put this installation together? And what were they wanting to achieve with it? And, and these kind of things. So I just began to think about um, worship as an art form, and then about the person who led worship as a curator rather than a worship leader. Mm. In my experience, worship leaders have been a, 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 an abused term in the sense that a worship leader in practice generally leads the, the worship songs, um, which suggests that the worship is only about the songs and not about the prayers or the preaching or any other part um, of the liturgy. And so I wanted to broaden that term out, but realized that there was just no way that we were going to be able to change the content of um, worship leader. So coming up with a new term, which was worship curator, um, was my way of contributing to the con to the conversation around how we might make our worship stronger and uh, better for its purposes. So worship curator, like a gallery curator, is responsible in an ideal world for everything to do with the worship event, which means everything from the car park before the service to the car park after the service, so for the temperature of the space and the color of the space and all those kinds of things, as, an, as a gallery curator is. So if, if I'm curating as a gallery curator, curating an art installation or exhibition, then I'm responsible for everything in that space, for the signs that go beside the paintings, for the juxtaposition of pieces, for where they're placed around the room, for the color of the wall, for the temperature, for the lighting levels, all of those kinds of things. And I realize as the curator of the gallery that how I do those things and how I respond to those um, circumstances is going to affect the message the overall exhibition has and the message people take away. I'm also aware as a gallery curator that once I've set it all up and done all my work, um, I have no control whatsoever over what people take away from it. And I thought, well, this is increasingly sounds to me like the role of a worship curator, a worship designer, someone who puts worship events, worship services together. So in the ideal 
world, as I said, the worship curator is responsible for everything in this space. The reality is that Sunday by Sunday, there's lots of things that don't change. So you know, you're not going to change the colors of the walls every week, but you might paint them with different colored lights. Um, and and then you, you um, kind of subcontract lots of parts of the service. So the worship curator isn't responsible for doing every part of the worship event, although she or he might, but for making sure they're done and for the segues between them, um, for the arrangement of the of the elements within the worship event, um, where you put the singing, where you put the prayers, where you put the scripture reading, where you put the preaching, all those kinds of things, for the segues between them, looking at the overall story that's being told, the overall message that's being given um, to the punters, to the audience, to the participants um, through that event. So in an ideal world, that's the curator's role. The, in the real world, um, that can vary from taking the reading or communion or whatever and curating that small part of it um, or, or an event that's not a Sunday morning or you know Sunday regular worship event, then the curator's role um, becomes quite the same, but the, the task is actually quite different and bigger and more involved. So, yeah, that's where the worship curator thinking is coming from. And worship curator is just the beginning of what – I like to think of as a new language um, that that we might use to describe um, worship and how we put it together. So there's a whole lot of other language that I want us to develop as a Christian community around um, our worship events as well, like using seg the term segways and reframing and aleatoric and a whole lot of things like this that just help us to think differently about what we do so that we can do a better job of it or a stronger job of making a job, better job of making our worship stronger is how I'd prefer to describe it rather than better worship. So it's not a, it's not about what's the style of worship. It's not a prescriptive um, process. It's not do this one, two, three, four, five, and you'll be great. Um, it's about asking questions about what you do and why you do it and coming up with answers in your own context. So, Fed people from you know from Anglican Episcopalian through to independent Pentecostals and everyone in between, if there's if that's a spectrum, um, who finds the principles around curating worship helpful in their context because it's not prescriptive. It doesn't tell them you should all be like this. So yeah, that's where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if you could, so that that gives us a great framework of of the idea. Maybe you could uh, get real practical with us and kind of talk us through one of the one of the events that you've curated and maybe one of the one of the most impactful events you can you can recall and kind of walk us through uh, beginning to end and then also kind of tell us uh, uh, about the preparation and about the process of creating that event mm, that's um they're good questions. Um, without being offensive, since I don't know you, um, they're actually the wrong, the wrong questions to start with. Okay. Um, I always, I'm always getting asked for photos. You know, send us some pictures of what you did, um, and uh, which I'm really happy to do. All that does for people is give them ideas about how I answered the questions I asked about my worship event. It doesn't help them to ask questions about theirs. So the very starting point um, for me, I'd say I, I pastor a Sunday morning congregation here, 8.30 to 9.30, called Rhythms of Grace. Um, it's focused on spiritual formation. It's, it's one hour. It's weekly. It's communion-based. Um, it's children in the whole time. Um, 
in a nutshell, that, that's got us about 50 adults or so there. We've been going just a bit over a year. Um, it's about 50 adults there, and it's part of a, a, of a broader range of services that um, my church offers. So I had to ask some questions about that before I started it. Questions about who are we as a community? What's our location within the geographic community? What kind of people are we wanting um, to design this worship for? Um, in what ways will we sustain sustain them in their following of Jesus in the world? And so on and so on. And what I rhythms of grace, what it looks like now is my answer to those questions. And other people's answers in their context will be different. So I start with a basic question which I talk about in the book, of what does the church exist for and what does worship exist for? So my working definitions of what are the church, what does the church exist for are to say that the church exists to sustain people and their following of Christ in the world. And that's just, you know, one sentence compared to a whole book on the on the subject, as there plenty of around. Um, just to say that so when I when, when I put worship together on a Sunday morning or when anyone else does it for us at Rhythms of Grace, it's about sustaining people and their following of Christ in the world. And if standing on our heads and balancing balls on our feet would do that, then that's what we would do. But, <laughs> but we haven't had a conversation around it, but that's, we've decided that's probably not helpful. So that's the first question and answer. And to me, it doesn't matter what your answer is. It's the answer in your context. And the second question is, so we're going to gather weekly or monthly or whenever for corporate public worship as an expression of that and as a, our main method of sustaining people and their following of Christ in the world. So what's our worship going to be about? What's the point of it? What's Why are we going to gather? Um, and for me, the most short and brief and straightforward answer is to say that worship is about the practices um, of people in response to the Trinitarian community of God heart, soul, mind, strength. So that for me it just means that when we come together on a Sunday morning, we're wanting to do things together that will sustain people in their following of Christ in the world and that will teach them and encourage them and train them in practices that will enable them to engage with the Trinitarian community of God. That's just kind of theological definition. Heart, soul, mind, strength out in the world. So we want to do anything that will enable that to happen and if it doesn't enable that to happen, then we have the choice to say, well, that'll be a fun thing to do, but um, you know, maybe it's not part of our core business, and so we won't do it. Um, so having answered those questions for myself and my context, then we put together the worship event. Now, because it's week by week on a Sunday, um, it's not radically different every week. We have just um, six or seven elements, starting with... Um, Prelude, which is just video playing. Um, we use flat screen monitors around our old warehouse space rather than a data projector that's in daylight, not controllable. So all of those kind of parameters, that's the gallery parameters that are saying, you know, this is what we've got. This We could black it all out if we wanted to or whatever, but we've decided, no, we won't. So we use flat screen monitors on the walls. We, for Prelude, we're just running some music and um, video clip. Generally, um, with a welcome slide up, um, the music is more likely to be drone music or um, noise music or electronic, ambient electronic of some sort than it is to be um, CCM. In fact, it would 
it would never be CCM actually. It's not the kind of music that we often play. Um, or it might, and the video might be um, time lapse of sunrise or sunset or an animation or something. So during Advent, we'd run Advent Nativity animation or old black and white Nativity movie or whatever. So that's the prelude, but while people are arriving and half past eight in the morning is a starting time, most people aren't arriving till 29 minutes past eight, so it's mostly me who gets to watch that <laughs> and appreciate it. Uh, no one else does. And then a gathering prayer, um, which includes candle lighting ritual. So we have that um, we use the same reading each week and we um, light the Christ candle each week. Um, we use colors of the church year, so the cross has a, the fabric color for the church year on it. We're teaching people about the cycle, this rhythm of the church year. It's been in the church for um, centuries. And then a, a, a lament or confession, so um, it could be either of those um, things going on. And then uh, the word, which is um, reading the scripture, followed by words, which connect um, a word to life, um, which is followed by silence, uh, or after the scripture reading the word, we have a, a one sentence a responsive prayer that we always a responsive reading that we always say together. Um, then the the words that's a preaching the sermon, which is um, because we we're, we're committed to a sixty minute kind of shape more or less, um, it's fifteen to twenty minutes long usually yeah in that frame in that frame somewhere. And then there we come to um, concerns of the church, which is notices time, um, which can be from the congregation as well as just a series of things that we're praying about or wanting to know about what's going on in the world or our own world or our local community, followed by a response time, 10 to 15 minutes of responses where people move around the space. Oh, sorry, I've just missed before that is the, um, is the, um, the words of institution, the introduction to communion. Um, and then a response time where people move around the space, take communion. These are our standard setup of stations um, that would get added to, but um, hardly ever subtracted from. So it would be communion, the bread and the cup. It would be um, candle lighting stations, light a candle, a symbol of your prayer for someone or something somewhere. Um, it's our prayer net, which is a net on the wall where you write your prayers and peg them on. Um, and read other people's prayers uh, and join with them in praying. Um, the children's space, a family community area, has pens and pencils and paper that you can write or draw there if you want to. We have a kneeler that faces a piece of art on the wall, which for this past year has been Rembrandt's um, Prodigal Son painting, because that's the only one that I've got uh, that's big like that. Um, and I think that's about the basic stations. Yeah. So that's 10 or 15 minutes of uh, people just moving around, taking communion, lighting candles, praying. And then we sing a song or we have a prayer or we play a piece of music to come back together again with. And then we have the benediction and we're done in 50 to 60 minutes. And you might have noticed that there was no sung worship slot in there. In fact, I only once mentioned songs, and that was what reminded me that we we most often don't sing at all. Um, and that's as much as anything because we don't have a, a wide variety of musicians. Um, and we certainly would not sing for 15 or 20 minutes, um, partly because we don't have the time and partly because that's not what we're offering in the style of service that we're offering. 
um, if you go upstairs to the next building, the building next door at 10 o'clock after our service, then you'll get um, 25 or 30 minutes of sung worship. So we're not wanting to try to replicate that or to compete with that, but to offer something that's different um, to people. Having said that, you know, we do often still sing, but we would normally just sing three or four um, songs in the service at different places. The two songs in a row would be the most that we would sing. As I said, that's partly because of the time. It's partly because of um, wanting to offer something different to the other services that we have. And it's also that I know nothing about music and um most um, contemporary Christian music leaves me cold, to be honest. So um, that's, that's my prejudice coming through. I mean, worship always reflects um, the pastor, yeah. always. Um, and more so those who say it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how we do it. And then on for, for special events in the Christian calendar, Pentecost, um, Advent, you know, all those kinds of days, Trinity Sunday, we would do something a bit different within that same framework. So within that framework of, um, you know, the lament or confession can be done by different people and various parts of the service can be done by different people um, and how they do it is entirely up to them. So the lament or confession, you know, if something nasty has just happened in some part of the world, then we might focus on that. Um, someone might show a video clip, they might read a poem, they might read a scripture, whatever, they might use the traditional prayer confession in the old Anglican prayer book or something. So there's a lot of variety within that framework um, that provides the context. Yeah, so you know, that's a yeah, thank you. Sunday. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that, Mark. You know, I I think what um, what was encouraging to hear is that idea that uh, each one of us as a leader needs to understand what our church is about and what the people uh, in our church, you know, uh, what the DNA and what the makeup and what the structure of our church is. And, you know, I like what you said. Hey, if if singing for 30 minutes, you know, uh, there's a service right afterwards, but, but that's not what we are. And even for you recognizing, hey, you know, I'm not a musician and that's not my role. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times churches um, and leaders in church will try to force a formula. And what I hear you saying is don't use a formula. Uh, recognize what your church has, what your people are, uh, what the DNA of your church is, and then curate the service according to that, not to a formula. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I've just like, you know, I would pick and choose what sort of art exhibitions I go to. And sometimes I might go to one that was out of my comfort zone because I wanted to be stimulated or wanted to be challenged by what was going on or, or movies. You know, there's whole genres of movies that I would take significant convincing to go to. Um, and this, I think the same with worship. We need to offer a range of styles, not so that people can pick and choose, but so that we offer um, – the contexts that do sustain people and they're following a Christ in the world that do provide them the opportunity for engagement um, with God and in the ways that are their um, intelligences and their learning styles and all that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not just about pampering to needs or a consumer culture. Not that I think there's always anything wrong with it church being sometimes consumer-oriented because we have to be consumer-oriented, otherwise no one would come and there wouldn't be any point in it. Um, 
So it's about offering that variety rather than and measuring our success in, inver in inverted commas by the the quality and depth of life that people are living as followers of Jesus rather than just, well, you know, there's 50% more people there last Sunday than the Sunday before. But about what are those, how are those people living differently from last week to this week because they came and worshiped God with us in our, in our context last Sunday? How, how has life been different? How have they handled their business relationships, their family relationships, their response to injustice, their neighborhood, um, you know, differently because they were with us for an hour last Sunday. I mean, it's one hour. It's not life-changing in that sense, um, and yet it has to be life-changing. So I think, yeah, I'm getting on a bit of a hobby horse, but I think we've wasted people's, <laughs> too much of people's time for too long, really, because we've not made people um, better followers of Jesus by years and years and years of worship that didn't actually know what it was there for. Yeah, and enough. I I think so much of uh, what you're saying uh, will ring in, in our hearts and our ears, hopefully, and it's a question that I, as we work with our worship leaders here at our church, I'm constantly trying to push them back towards is that uh, we don't just want our, our worship time to be, like you said, you know, the, the top 20, top 10, you know, the CCM, you know, most, most popular, most favorite songs that everyone wants to sing because they're trendy and they're current and they're popular. What we want our worship time to do is, is to really drive people to live for Christ throughout the week. And that's kind of our a rally time to, to, to rally people as they come together, like you said, for this one hour, or in our case, it's about 90 minutes, but come together for this short yeah. period of time once a week. And, and we're, we're hopefully encouraging them, equipping them, you know, facilitating their life for Christ in the next six days. And then when we gather again, we can, we'll do mm -hmm. whatever we can to help them in that. Yeah. But uh, we're we're almost out of time, and so uh, as we kind of wrap things up, I was wondering if you have any any words, maybe insightful words, encouraging words, or just kind of words for the our worship leaders, worship uh, pastors who are out there who who maybe want to start making this transition in their own ministry from from being the typical you know song leader, so to speak, to being a, a, a someone who curates worship. And, and starts to make that transition in their church. How would you encourage them as they start that journey? Mm. Mm, that, that's a good question because there are, you know, there are gatekeepers in church and a senior pastor carries a can and is ultimately responsible for what's done. So, um, you know, you need to work within the frameworks you've got or if you're not able to, to find somewhere else to work. But if, if you are a sung worship leader, um, so not therefore not responsible for the whole service. I would encourage you to think um, about what you're wanting to achieve in that 20 or 30 minutes or in the songs that you have, what you're wanting to achieve in the lives of the people with you. And don't, don't just stop at the easy answers to that. Oh, we're wanting people to worship God. We want people to praise God. Um, I don't think those answers are good enough, to be honest. I, my whole problem is that I don't think we've asked good enough questions about what we're doing in worship. So for, for you to ask deeper questions about that, how am I wanting to offer people the opportunity of engagement with God? This wide variety of people, all sorts of people sitting in the back 10 rows as well as the people sitting in the front 10 rows um, because how they respond in the worship event is radically different. And if you're a sung worship leader, you should go and sit in the back 10 rows from time to time so you understand what's going on there because it's different to what's going on in the front 10 rows. Um, so thinking about what you're doing, 
and the songs that you're offering, not just offering, um, you know, contemporary stuff, but drawing on some of the more traditional music, but you can re revamp it, you can change the lyrics, you can find a better tune to it, uh, something that engages people more, something of a little history of the songs, where why people wrote them, treating the songs as poems a bit more than just than rather than just an emotional music thing. Um, looking at the lyrics of the songs, deciding not to sing some because the lyrics actually are bad theology. Um, so uh, all of those kinds of questions um, that ask, how can I take these people in front of me this Sunday morning and the 30 minutes I've got, how can I give them something that will not just gloss over the difficulties of their past week or the difficulties of their week ahead, but how can I give them something that will help them to struggle and cope with life and make the, the, the life of Christ more real to them in this week ahead? So that's not necessarily by talking a lot. It can be really short segues between the songs that just give some background or why the person wrote this song, you know, um, those kinds of things. So the, the question would be, would be a how question for me and then a what question. What will I do that will answer this how question for these people? Um, so and never, there's a lot of practical things. Never say we're going to do something different this morning. You just, just do it. And it's not massive change. It's just about, it's just about small approaches. And it's about my attitude to the people um, that I'm not there to show off my talents or the talents of the band. We are there to enable these people to, to find some sustenance in their relationship with God this morning that will carry them through the difficult times um, of this week. And my closing comment would be that I think the two biggest problems facing the church are senior pastors and sung worship leaders um, because neither actually, so that's the wrong way to start the statement. In many cases, in many cases, um, neither of those people actually um, have the, the needs of their community in the deepest part of their heart. Um, music band, bands and sung worship leaders think that they are the most important part of the service. So, you know, if me as the person doing the prayer of confession, if I want to have 15 minutes to make sure all my visuals and video and slides are right and that everything's right for me to do that, it's really hard. I've got to push my way in through the band, practicing band musician, musicians walk into the space and take over. I think we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to just become more aware that of all the elements of the worship event that are making up this service that are equally important as far as God's willingness and ability to speak t through them to people are. So I should stop there before I get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, yeah, thank you. We've been uh, talking with Mark Pearson, the author of the book, The Art of Curating Worship, Reshaping the Role of the Worship Leader. And his book is available on Amazon. We would encourage you to go uh, check that out as soon as you get to a computer. If you're listening in your car or if you're sitting at your computer listening to this podcast, hop on over to Amazon and check that out and uh, and start to maybe rethink the way you've been thinking about worship and leading worship all these years. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Have a great day in the tomorrow land that you live, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Kevin and David. I appreciate it. Every blessing on you. So there it is. I, I'll admit, you know, uh, 
I was I mentioned during the interview, hey, you know, there, there's a lot of people who may not know this kind of, you know, worship curator. What does that mean? I'll admit, I was one of those people. I'm like, <laughs> what What does this mean, worship yeah. curator? Um, but boy, really, really impressed with just kind of that idea. I mean, it's it, it's it's one of those things where you, you have to be intentional about it. You have to say, you know what? I'm not going to just play, you know, he he referenced CCM a lot, uh, contemporary Christian mm-hmm. music. And, you know, I'm not going to just play the top 20 CCM, you know, worship songs. Um, I'm, I'm not going to just do, uh, you know, 30 minutes of nonstop music because that's what the church next door is doing. And I thought that was, it was, it was cool to hear that perspective. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated. Uh, I mean, he had just a lot of really good thoughts on what it means to be a curator, mm-hmm. basically, you know, someone that is um, examining the entire space, the entire service. What does what are the needs of this church? What can we provide that bring a level of excellence? Well, like you said, you know, starting with the right question. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a that's something we haven't really done a lot. You know, we haven't we we think, oh well, the the question I'm answering on a weekly basis is, what songs am I going to do? Mm. And that's, that's the most that we probably think about. It's like, well, I, I want to introduce this song or we introduced this song a few weeks ago. So we need to read, you know, do it, do again, it again so people can learn it. Or um, hopefully maybe our questions go a little bit further and we say, we'll ask the question, oh, what's the pastor talking about and what songs can I do to help kind of be in line with that? But, but getting to the heart, you know, of the, of the, of the point of why we're there and asking that question and, you know, uh, engaging people and, our time that we gather together so that when they leave and they go out into the world, that they are ready uh, to, to kind of conquer the world missionally and worshipfully. And so, you know, I think, I think that's important for us to, to stop and maybe kind of correct and go back to that as worship leaders and, and people who are doing that in, in the worship world that are we giving people the tools, the, the war cry that we talked about several episodes ago with uh, Isaac Wardell and, um, you know, are we giving people the tools they need to go out and live for Christ and thrive for Christ and and shine for Christ and 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 live their lives so that people around them see Christ in them on a weekly basis? Yeah. And if not, then that's the question I think we need to answer and get back to the basics on that. Yeah. So, yeah, really good. So again, his book is "The Art of Curating Worship," um, and uh, subtitle "Reshaping the Role of the Worship Leader." And hopefully, you're on Amazon right now checking it out. Um, and uh, examining that book and maybe uh, hopefully even purchasing the book. A lot of really good material. Um, So yeah, good episode. Glad that we had Mark on there. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. You can find us online, worshipministrycatalyst.com, facebook.com slash worshipministrycatalyst, twitter.com slash wmcatalyst, or you can send an email to... To me, kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And if you want to leave a review on iTunes or spread the word to all your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and every living soul that you know that Worship Ministry Catalyst is not only still going, but we've taken a step forward. And uh, yeah, thanks to Garden City, yeah, it's like that's that's a really cool partnership. Yeah, they got got a lot of content for a lot of the different people, broader audience now that we're trying to reach, and would love for you to help us spread the word on that. So, thanks so much for listening to this episode. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Twitter.com slash WM Catalyst. Facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst.